Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. What's up? I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of comics that are coming your way. In fact, we're talking about 37 comics, I believe, today, including one very long graphic novel towards the end here that is coming Mm -hmm. out later, but worth talking about at the same time. Very excited to jump into it. So why don't we kick it off with a big issue this week, Uncanny Avengers Number one for Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Javier Duran. This is continuing the Fall of X storyline. Here we're getting the re-emergence of the Unity Squad, basically Captain America. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting a little choked up here, just yeah, even thinking about Unity. Just like Captain the very America, idea. you know. Oh, my sure. God. America, Captain America, America, no faults, love that country. <laughs> anyway... Captain America is bringing together the Unity Unity Squad, specifically a bunch of mutants here. So not much to uh, Unity other than Captain America, but we can. I digress. And they are trying to figure out what is going on with Captain Krakoa, who is the yeah. new mysterious character who caused a false flag event back in the Free Comic Book Day issue. What do you guys think about this one, Pete? We had a we had a flurry of texts going back and forth about talking mm. about the fall of X stuff or not. Right. You ultimately said, let's do it. Let's go forward. Let's talk about this stuff. Let's so, go forward. Let's move you, forward as a You're team. ready to move forward mentally. Yeah. This yeah. is our Unity Squad talking about hey. the X-Men. <laughs> exactly. Pete, what did you think Unity. about this one? All right. Well, first off, I love the cover. I thought it was really cool, you know. <laughs> Good start. Everybody in kind of like a power pose thing. Really great. Um yeah, what a crazy ending. Uh, I, I was having a great time up until that twist at the end. But, man, uh, this is this is very interesting and kind of cool. I like Captain America putting this team together. that's uh, got a, a bunch of wild cards on there, so I'm very intrigued. Uh, yeah, hey, there you go. Uh, very intrigued about how this is all going to unfold. But, uh yeah, I thought uh, very interesting first ish for sure, and we all know who he is underneath that. That's the tree, right? Because you know you got the branches Krakoa. coming. Out there. You think it's yeah. Krakoa? Yeah, mm, probably hmm. not. So the thing with they the tree, it's Cyclops. Yeah, it's yeah. Cyclops. They say it's Cyclops. That's how you know it's not Cyclops because they right. keep mm. saying it's Cyclops. no. It's not Cyclops. What happened was that Cyclops died very publicly in X-Men and then he he was still going to be in X-Men. They didn't want to talk about resurrection yet. So he came back and said, Oh, I'm a hero known as Captain Krakoa. The secret of resurrection came out. So we didn't have to do that anymore. So here we have somebody new is Captain Krakoa. Doesn't seem to be Cyclops. Cyclops. I would argue it's not someone new, but someone who will be revealed that we do know. Yes. Who do you think? What's your theory, Justin? I, I don't know. It's a tough. Who would be? Who's Captain the villain? Britain, you think it is? You think it's Captain Britain? No, it's a villain. It's a villain who is Ooh. like. I think it's going to be a big X Men villain. Uh, mm. I don't know exactly could it who be, that would be. I saw some speculation online that maybe it's a Captain America person, like it's Nomad, maybe or Nuke, 
or something like that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense for the captainness of it, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I feel like if it's not an X Men villain, why are they targeting the X Men? Could be Nimrod, so everyone's favorite mm-hmm. uh, X Men villain. Whatever it is, I, I agree. I like this. This is a big action alternative to X Men. Uh, yeah. This is a fun, weird team. I wish there was more unity here. They go out of the way to talk oh, about. Oh, see what he did there. Well, but they go out of the way to be like, oh, Quicksilver also isn't a mutant. Did you forget about that? So he's also yeah. just you know a regular superpower guy. But I wish there were a couple more uh, Avengers characters on here as well as X Men characters. But as it oh, is. Wow. I had a good time reading this one. The idea that a Captain America was like, well, I have to have Deadpool. is like, yeah. well, okay. He's so <laughs> sure. popular right now. He's just like, you know. Well, they do. I actually think the the best excuse is for Deadpool because as they establish in here, there was the whole secret empire thing where yeah. Captain America redeemed Deadpool and Deadpool was like, I'm all in on Captain America and didn't realize until way too late that Captain America was actually a secret Nazi working for Hydra the yeah. entire time. So that's a little bit of a whoopsie. He's trying to yeah make better here. I would also throw in that the underneath that scene, um, Captain America and Deadpool are undercover. And the the way they're undercover is uh, Steve's wearing a sweater with his shield in a backpack form. <laughs> and Deadpool is wearing Deadpool colors with All bandage red. wraps yeah. over his face. Yeah. I was like, yeah. guys, let's work a little harder <laughs> on the disguise. This is worse than Clark Kent's glasses, my dudes. Let's go. Anyway, uh, But I, I also enjoy this. I think um, the fact that they established like a new brotherhood of evil mutants here, mm-hmm. I thought it was a cool way to go. It sort of gestures toward Captain Krakoa being Magneto um, in a way that... A Zorn thing, if you will. A Zorn thing, if you will. I Actually, I would be surprised by that. Magneto has sort of become a good mutant, I think. Uh, He died, obviously, so maybe he was resurrected at an earlier, more evil phase, we could say. There's Magneto's clone, Joseph, just popped up over in the... Um, Scarlet Witch book. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to play this, uh, but I'm really, I, I'm into this. This is one of my favorite X-Books of the week. The Penguin Ooh. Number Zero from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Bellin Ortega. Now, you may have actually read this before. This is a collection of the backup stories from Chip Zdarsky's run on Batman, where Penguin ostensibly died. He didn't actually die. He pretended to die, left all of his stuff to his kids, and ultimately two kids who look very much like penguins took over his business. Catwoman is actually the main character here, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, So this, I know you're not a big fan of Zero Issues. I felt like this was a essential reminder of what's going on going into the upcoming Penguin series, and I really liked reading this again because this is a very good story. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say this is a great story, and I, I was like, oh, I read, I think all of these, but one of them. So I was reminded of everything that happened before. I like all these characters. I like the executor, sort of the the yeah, robot right? dude. The I thought it was a very cool was character. Yeah. Chip Zdarsky, you know, sort of came up as a comedy comic book writer and has sort of use that skill set to just write really interesting, detailed characters all the time in in his books. And I think this is just on display again here. And I love Catwoman as our main character. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, uh, 
I hate zero issues, uh, but man, I really love this issue, and I wish they didn't l- label it a zero issue. But uh, I, I feel like this is Peter. Zero a- is just a number one that hasn't happened yet. Well, actually, can I can I throw out there because I knew reading this, I was like, oh, it's a zero issue. Pete's going to be annoyed about this. Yeah, this is one of the only times I think it is one hundred percent okay to label it as a zero issue because oh. it is a reprint of a previous story that already existed, and they're putting it out there before you get into the main series so you know what the setup is. So Yeah, but it's so essential. It really feels like the start of a really great story. So I kind of wanted it to be a number one. But anyways, I love this. I love the art. Uh, I love uh, how like Catwoman kind of like saw through everything. It was really it was really enjoyable and I can't wait for more of this. This is such a great kind of start to what feels uh, pretty epic. Um, yeah, uh, I feel like this is uh, uh, really feel like they're nailing these characters and it's interesting. And I think that like, you know, if you are going to be a father or a mother or something, you got to fake your death just to see what your kids are going to do. You know what I mean? Like really yeah. see who fights I do that who. every morning. Every morning I have my <laughs> wife wake up my kids and be like, dad's dead. And just to yeah. see what they react. And they just are like party. How's it going? Are they getting, are they crying less and less every time it happens? Yeah. Well, yeah. They were um, crying a lot to begin with. So I don't know mm-hmm. how you would categorize that. Huh. Yeah, huh. it's almost like you're like being uh, slowly called on a daily basis. Hey, That's Kyle. a great transition to our next book, the call number one from Image Comics. Look, we're working. Come on, look team. at this guy. We're, we're the A team here. We're the real <laughs> Unity Squad going on. We're here. the Unity oh. Squad. The call number one from Image Comics, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Matea Di Luis. This was my issue of the week. I was yes. completely bowled over by issue this. Of the week. I was already very hyped because I always love a new Kelly Thompson book. She mm-hmm. crushes it every time out of the gate. Mm-hmm. I'm almost hesitant to say anything plot-wise about this because part of the joy of reading this book was the wild sense of discovery while you're checking Agreed. it out. But I will give you some broad impressions and overviews. The big thing that blew me away here beyond uh, Kelly Thompson's writing, which is already good, there's a really good basis of characters. You get to see some characters who are some teens in very different situations who are going out to shoot a movie early in the morning. But another thing that's great about it is the art, which is very, there's oh, a yeah. lot of realism to it. It's very photorealistic. Yeah. Photorealistic characters. But the thing that blew me away is beyond. The characters being well fleshed out, the characters being beautifully drawn, there are two double page spread reveals on the page flip here that made me gasp out loud when I was reading them. I could not believe it. It was the sort of thing. (gasps) Well, we've been we've been reading a lot of comics. It's the sort of Mm. thing where I flip back and like I did it again just to be like, hold on, did I miss something? What's going on here? Oh, my God, this is crazy. Um I love this issue. This is a perfect setup. I cannot wait for more. You know, um, uh, what's very interesting to me is I love this. And then I kind of like questioned why, because it's really just the start of something and it doesn't give you too much. It's just kind of like, okay, here's a group of people and you know, they've got stuff going on. Something happens. Yeah. You get little slices of life and then they kind of have this reveal and uh, uh, the kind of, 
uh, art that is in this place that they go to is really such a cool transition yeah. that I was really blown away by. But uh, I, I just kind of like afterwards, I was like, God, why did I love that so much? It didn't give me a lot. You know, it just gave me kind of like little bits of information about who people are and then kind of like they kind of really clearly set up what's next. And I was just like, wow, you know, it wasn't like action packed. It wasn't like fast paced. It wasn't like we're going to start at the end. And then, you know what I mean? Like I was just really impressed with the confidence and kind of like the story and what happened. And I was just really kind of like, oh my God, this is so great. But I, I had a hard time putting on my finger like, oh, it's because of the art or, oh, it's because of the writing. I, I think just, just to throw it out there and, again, I'm being, trying to be very gentle because I, I think – We don't want to spoil it. But I think what you're about to say, Alex, is you get enough slice of life, you got a life sandwich. <laughs> That was That's exactly what you were going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's crazy. No, I was going to say that it's very much like it's. It looks like and it feels like a '80s adventure movie is the way that it's set up. Like it has that feel of that sort of that Stranger of Things vibe very much. I, my comp with Stranger Things, a more mature Stranger Girls. Things. Uh, Paper Girls, another great comp. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean That's the comic, comp, maybe yeah. not the TV show. Right, yeah. So I'm yeah. at the start of the comic. But the the stakes are unimaginably high, but you also very simply and clearly get to understand exactly who these characters are, why everything emotionally matters for them that's going on. And that's a nearly impossible task in 20 pages. Normally, it really is. Normally, you know, we talk about like this image comics formula of you get to know the characters and then at page 20 there's a sci-fi twist at the end. That's not what this yeah. is. This is structured in a very different way, and it gives you the information in a very different way, but it delivers that same thing so smartly and so expertly. There is kind of a twist at the end, though. You know what I mean? There's a Yes, there's a twist at the end, but there's also a twist of, like, page three. Right. There's <laughs> yeah. a bunch of kind of little twists going on for you sure. You get but... enough twists, you got yourself a twist sandwich, <laughs> also, also known as a pretzel. Wow. <laughs> Disney That's what villains. I call them when I order them. I say, I have one twist sandwich, <laughs> and they escort they... me out of the Wetzel's Pretzels. Oh, Wetzel's Pretzels. Shouts. Disney villains, Hades, number one, from Dynamite, written by Elliot Kalen, art by Alessandro Rinaldi. We have been loving this Disney villains line yeah, so far, and this one, I, I would say, and I don't say this derisively, is more well, across the plate. Like Hades book, it's it's kind of more what you'd expect from a Hades book. It's a jokes a million. Ella Kalin, we've had him on the show a bunch of times. Very Former funny guest, guy. yeah, funny guy, yeah. very funny guy. So this is Hades teaming up with a bunch of Greek heroes to try to get the Golden Fleece. Um, there's some twists there, there's some turn there. What did you guys think? And did it match up to the other Disney villains books? Yeah, I really now, thought Pete, it, you're the number one Disney villain book fan on the pod. So. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I didn't uh, think I would be the, uh, such a Disney Wait, villain. Wait, real quick. Head. Who's your uh, favorite Disney villain? Is it Isma from Emperor's New Groove? Uh, no, it's not, but that's a very interesting Strong uh, guess. guess. A guess yeah. no one's ever made. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just what you just wanted to do a Disney villain flex on us. All right. Yeah. I just think that this is such a fun start. You know what I mean? Where, you know, Hades is uh, she's upset about like the fact that she didn't get invited to brunch and is losing her effing mind about it and uh, comes up with all these very elaborate, fun, interesting plans. 
Uh, yeah, I think they do a great job with the artwork where it feels a little bit like the animation from the Disney movies, but yeah. it's still different enough to kind of give you a different flavor. Uh, so, yeah, I just super impressed with this. Such a cool, interesting setup. Uh, really fun twists and turns. I love the Medusa stuff. Uh, yeah, this is great. And uh, I'm excited to see how this all unfolds. I want to shout out the fact that this line of books is doing a great job of taking the movie and matching the tone in a cool way. We're going to talk about another one of them in a little bit, I believe. But yeah. uh, between this, the the Scar book that feels like right there with Lion King, but from a sort of darker angle, this feels like it's the villain side, but still maintaining the fun. I was never a big um, Herc uh, guy. That's where I sort of wasn't watching oh. Disney movies. Were you guys watching Hercules? I, well, my daughter loved Hercules when she was It's little. definitely like the next generation is mm-hmm. Hercules. Is so huge. I ended up watching it a bunch of times. It's, it's funny. The songs are no, good. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. It goes, I, it, the more you watch it, it goes from Jerkules to Hercules is what I always say. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a yeah. huge fan of uh, Hercules in general. You know, I once went to see a movie on my birthday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, but, don't, uh, you don't know, dare. But not like Unrelated. Yeah. Unrelated. <laughs> it's you're Disney's. being a Jerkules. And just yeah. so you know, everyone knows, like when Alex is talking to us, Jerkules and Hercules are who, when if, it's like Goofus and Gallant. If I'm five <laughs> minutes late, I'm a Jerkules. If I'm five minutes early, it's a Hercules. So exactly. it's. Yeah. Five minutes early is on time, Justin. How many times That's do I right. need to tell you that? Okay, Let's well, it's a Jerkules of you to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Alpha Flight, number one from Marvel, written by Ed Bryson, art by Scott Godlewski. While in America, the mutants are being targeted by Orcus, things are getting pretty bad in Canada as well. And Alpha Flight is going through a little bit of a schism of its own as yeah. half the team mm. is tracking down mutants in Canada and the other half of the team is trying to protect them. There's a twist there. Yeah, probably, there is. Probably. I, I know I didn't want to spoil the other twist. You can see this twist coming. Yeah, you already well, spoiled it. Way to be. Let me say, though, I was worried that the twist wasn't going to happen. Oh, really? It was the book that mm-hmm. I anticipated the twist, but I was like, I don't know. It felt like they were running out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think they were going to do it. And then they actually did it. And I was like, OK, sigh of relief. It's- it's satisfying. It's satisfying. Yeah, it really is satisfying. Yeah. I wrote down in my notes, fun twist at the end. It was cool to see the Alpha Flight gang again. I was excited about this book. I'm a big Puck fan, as you can guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, box. What do you like about him? What do you like about him? His height? Yeah. I'm a big fan of the fact that he's short. Do you feel like it's not fair to be like, oh, let's have a Canadian superhero named Puck, Hockey Puck? Uh, that's a little thinking, diminutive of Canadian culture, Pete. Oh, I thought I was thinking more of a Shakespeare thing. Oh, yeah, yeah for hockey. Real yeah, quick, yeah. who's your favorite? Which, wait, which do you think he is? Is he Mine more is of a Shakespearean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you think Puck's more of a Shakespearean puck or more of a hockey puck? Yeah, Just well, based on what you know about the character. Uh, I will say yeah. the plot machinations they go through to explain Box Jr. Box's <laughs> son. I was like, this is too much. We don't need this because he's like, yeah, he's Box Jr. He's just like Box, but uh, taller and more handsome and younger and also has the same exact thing going on as Box. I was like, just, yeah. just it's okay. Um, it also reminded me there's a quick panel of John Burns box in there, the original box eater. I know you were making fun of me the other day about this for Justin, but like, yeah, 
the first 12 issues of Alpha Flight, I will say this until the cows come home, are like perfection. You love it. Go back, read them. It's legitimately an awesome story. It's really, really good. It loses the track a little bit after that. Like there's still some good stuff and you still get John Byrne art. But those first 12 issues are absolutely killer. We should reread them at some point just so I can prove to you guys that. that well, is- yeah, when the Alpha Flight movie comes out, we can reread those and do it. <laughs> That's a great call, Pete. That's a great call. Let's just push it till the Alpha Flight movie is released. Or TV show. Yeah. 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 I mean, Did you feel like this book at all where they're like Canada also has to worry about this mutant problem where you're like a hundred percent I don't know if you guys do <laughs> oh stop well that was just the energy like I this book had like Canadian energy in that way where it's like like oh yeah this is also a problem but I will say the politics of it it helped bring it into sharper relief for me mm-hmm. because they sort of were able to boil it down from the slightly outsider perspective of the Canadian government and Canadian superheroes so I actually really liked it as a great way to flesh out the overarching uh, fall of X story yeah I was having a great time until they just randomly were like oh yeah and then Fang and I was like boo oh you mean Dokken my one of my favorite Wolverines <laughs> Like one of my top five Wolverines. They called them stupid, though. They were like, Fag, that's a stupid you're, you're name. stupid, you had, yeah. You I did, like that made me happy. Yeah. You prefer Dokken. Let's move no. on and talk about The it. man <laughs> who killed the Punisher famously. I, I prefer that we just act like he never existed. Would you like it better if we said, you know who killed the Punisher? Fang. <laughs> a guy named Fang. It's just as bad. The okay. Vigil, number four from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Dev Promenick. Now, we've been really, really positive on this series so far. This is a Indian super team set in the DC universe. There's been a lot of mysteries and weirdness about them. I know we've been saying this a lot this episode. There is a absolutely wild twist that happens in this yes. book yes. that completely floored me here. I don't know where this book goes from those last couple of pages, but it is something versus the Alpha Flight twist I never could have seen coming in a million years, and I am champing at the bit to read the next issue of this. I agree. This is one of my favorite DC books going right now. Just like really pushing it, really interesting storytelling, characters. This almost feels like the beginning of like a Valiant relaunch style Mm -hmm. book where it has like a lot of like – Big swings, big premises, like really pushing the superhero edge here a bit. And also like using almost like Professor X-y X-Men tropes uh, as like a, a deep homage or reference underneath it all. I don't know. I, I've just found this, the backstory of the character, uh, one of the characters we cover here, I thought was really well done here and paid off really well. Yeah, I think this is a great cast of characters that they have here, and uh, Ramvi is writing the crap out of this, and I'm very, very excited to read the next issue. Yeah, and just last thing to jump off of what you guys are saying, there's some incredible character building going on here, um, beyond all the twists, beyond the art, which is really solid, so... If you've been sleeping on this book, definitely, definitely pick it up. Here's another one. Never sleep. Never sleep. I never sleep. Sleep when you're dead. Star Signs, number four from Image Comics, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Megan Levins. This is following a new super team, or rather two super teams, who are all powered by the Zodiac signs. Here we meet another couple of them. What do you guys think about this issue? Well, 
I feel like this is really kind of trucking along now. Like this is really picked up steam and I'm really starting to, uh, things are making sense or, or really solid art, interesting stories and ideas. I'm looking forward to see what happens next. And it, it's just, uh, I feel like in the beginning I was like, okay, star signs, get it, whatever. But now like the action and kind of story are really clicking. So I'm having a great time. Um, I, a lot of times they're like, uh-oh, here comes Gemini. I'm like, Gemini, okay, he's probably twins. Or like, it's like Aries. Uh, Aries. I'm like, oh, I don't know all of these uh, background star signs. So that is a an information gap for me. And you got to read I the feel funny like- pages in the newspaper, and then you'll get, uh, you'll be able to catch up to this book. I can't right. wait to meet Sagittarius. You talk about horoscopes? The yeah. funny pages? Yeah, the funny pages. You got a Hagar the Horrible, you got Family Circle, and then you got the horoscopes, and that gives you all the information you needed to know. For the day. That's, all that's you how you run your life, Alex? Yeah. He's when I go into children. the bodega in the morning, I'm like, give me a bacon, egg, and cheese, coffee with milk and sugar, and the newspaper, but rip out everything but the funny pages. Wow. Oh, and your your bodega your bodega guy's like no problem, and hands you just a pile of scraps of paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he shreds it in front of me. Wow, puts um, a little I just BAC, feel like this... you know what I'm talking about. Give me that. Yeah, I got you. I mean, you are the ultimate Brooklynite. The uh, way that this is, it reminds <laughs> me of the the Wicked and the Divine uh-huh. uh, a bit. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. yeah. The Kieran Gillen book. Yeah. If you like that and want another fix for it, I think this may be the book for you. Oh, but um, I, I want to know. I'm a little. I want more from this. I think from. from my- Can I run something by you? This is slightly unrelated to the title, but my bodega guy has been calling me the goat, and I thought he was saying greatest of all time, but I think he means like a goat because yeah. eating the newspapers. Newspaper. You're yeah. eating the newspapers. Oh, yeah. That what a revelation for you. You need to start your day with a chopped cheese, bro. Forget that. Uh, you know. Oh God, that's a hell of a way to start the day. <laughs> yeah, baby, come on. The idea of you, Alex, going into a bodega and then th- thanking them for your order and going like, Mah, and then eating, <laughs> eating Blinking a newspaper my eyes sideways, <laughs> devil eyes. The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. The Hollywood Special, number one from IDW, written by Jeremy Lambert, art by Claire Rowe. This is part of the Dark Spaces line at IDW and here we're getting a fading Hollywood starlet who's taking a train tour of the United States she happens on a mind disaster and decides to help out her people wants to turn it into a PR opportunity 
but it's much, much more horrific than that. Would you guys? Well, yeah. well you, you should. We should protest this, you know, because we're protesting Hollywood right now, and it's kind of like choking. Yeah, strike and, from Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we'll but, move on to the next one. No, I was. Uh, I was really. Um, <laughs> Pete's calling a strike on this book. <laughs> I I was really happy with the twist that kept happening in the story, where you think, okay, all right, it's just uh, somebody who's maybe drinks too much and it's kind of over things, and then you get a little bit more information. Then you get a little bit more information. And like, I was impressed with the uh, kind of twists and turns that the story was going on. And uh, twist. Uh, I was uh, happy with, I mean, it's it's sad, but I was happy with the kind of story <laughs> by the end where I was like, oh, this is very intriguing. You know, like we've seen it so many times, like Hollywood starlet and just drinks too much. And it's like, OK, you got to show up on set and you're over your job and all that kind of stuff. So I was happy with what was going on and the kind of story we are actually getting. This book does a good job of being like this person is not good or not in a good place for maybe more of it than I thought it was going to. Uh, mm-hmm. And then finally it pivots to like, but she's the right person to be here in this moment. And then we get the smallest gesture towards some sort of a supernatural slash horrific thing happening. So this is one of those books that I'm definitely interested in, but I need a second issue to really understand what's happening. Agreed. I just wanted to give a quick shout out before we move on to Claire Rose art. It's not Agreed. as exaggerated, but it feels a little in line with Jay Lee, kind of. Mm. In terms oh, of interesting. Of it. So let me throw Jay Lee meets like Ryan Otley. It feels okay. like a little yeah, invincibly and at times. Huh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. Uh, listen, I think this dark spaces line is very good. Uh, there's a lot of questions about what's going on with IDW originals right now. So I'm hoping they yeah. do continue these because I like these books. I like the licensed stuff they've been doing, but they've been putting out a lot of good stuff. So I, I hope they continue. Dark X-Men, number one, from Marvel, written by Steve Fox, art by Jonas Scharf. While the rest of the X-Men world burns in limbo, things are just going as <laughs> normal. You know, Madeline Pryor just... building her own team of X-Men to go save the entire world out of her limbo embassy, which is a little piece of hell in the middle of New York City. Doesn't go well by the end of the issue, particularly where Havoc is concerned. What do you guys think about this one? In limbo, weird is the new normal. So we're dealing with stuff, how we deal with it. I really enjoy this. This is a great uh, sort of match, uh, balancing out the Uncanny Avengers being the glossy, uh, high-end superhero story. This is like the woolly, uh, almost like um, Justice League Dark of the Fall of X line, I feel mm-hmm. like. Um, it's right in the title with Dark. but uh, I the- see what you did there. Yeah, but I didn't do much, uh, really. Nope. I just said the words that were there. But the mm-hmm. character choice is great. I want to shout out the backup because the backup of, like, Havoc's day of, like, screwing <laughs> I was not around. expecting that at all. A hundred percent. And it was, like, a little more lighthearted. It's him, like, just being in love with Madeline Pryor, right? Mm-hmm. They're dating, Yeah, it seems like he's getting played, though, which is making me a little worried. Um, Let me throw out something. You got Cyclops and Jean Grey. Havoc, Mm -hmm. his brother, dating clone of Cyclops' partner. Yeah. Can I I confess something to you guys? Yes. Uh, Havoc and Madeline Pryor was the first time I realized sex existed. 
Um, that explains That's a, a lot, lot to unpack. Of, There's yeah, a lot that explains. to unpack there. In the Australia era, era, there was this panel of Madeline Pryor getting out of Havoc's bed, and she was she had a nude back, and I was like, what's going oh, on? No. What Were you talking about in with? this issue where she was just wearing covers? That's when you realized what sex no, was? No, that was a callback to the Australia thing. Where no, he just realized what sex was. I yeah. think just he, out. Alex is confessing. Just yeah. out. I wanted to. Well, it. that's why you like scream. Uh, that's why you shout Havoc every time you're, you're climaxing, right, Alex? <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> you, you, you cry Havoc. Yeah, you know no. that. Know you're that. my coach. Yeah, I am. I'm coach. <laughs> I, I'm coach. You call me coach. And I appreciate Pete, it. You're okay with this. Do you want, should we uh, keep going? Yeah, Alex said he was confessing something. And I think, oh I think it's true. Anyway, uh, getting back to the comic. Uh, I love this. Pete, you're I, so red right now. Yeah. Pete, like Pete's embarrassed for, Pete's the one who's embarrassed. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, getting back to the book, the last two pages, first off, some of these characters, I, I'm like, who's stretchy goop? Who's Stretchy Goop? Yeah. And then we find out on the backup, uh, that's Zero, I guess mm-hmm. is their name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, the reveal in the back two pages are some mysterious villains and then the Goblin Queen here. I was like, oh, okay. I don't know what this means. Yeah. Pete, what did you think about this? Oh, I thought we already covered it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I mean, first off, anytime we start with X weeks later. I'm just like, sorry, Pete, we're not you. talking about your take on the book. We're talking about Alex's confession. And oh, yeah, 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 what did you, well, what did you, you think know. about that? Yeah. And I'm, what do you uh, think about sex? If you could just give me your raw and huge fan, huge fan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> huge fan. Yeah. I, uh, you know, you got the dark team here. So I was like, all right, you know, fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I don't I wasn't like, yeah, this is great. I was just kind of like, okay. This is a lot of characters that I don't know, which shouldn't be a criticism of the book, except for I, I, I don't know them. And the book takes a little while to get around, like you were saying, to who are these people? What are they doing here? What's going on? What, and also what about Wolverine, but Wolverine but metals sort of. Yeah, over the machines. Robot. This is a very deep continuity book, I think. So yeah. it does it does eventually a good job of getting you caught up with everything, but you really got to know your X-Men to get it. Also, this. like, you're just burning money. You know what I mean? Those were nice sheets that you just burned mm-hmm. through for no reason. You Tons. know what I mean? Tales of the Titan, number two, starring Raven from DC Comics, written by Teeny Howard, art by Eleonora Carlini. Is following up with the first issue, Teeny which focused on Tini Carlini. This is following up with the first issue that focused on Starfire, which we absolutely loved. New yeah. team here, focusing on Raven. What did you guys think? Well, first off, just banger covers here. There was just some really unbelievable covers in this. Uh, very intense-ish, but I loved it. Uh, the art, super tight bananas. Love the story of the kids who are trying to uh, take down Trigon. Uh, I felt like this was a really fantastic issue, uh, and I, I, I want more. I'm really into it. Um, and uh, well, the you want more st- Raven? Yeah, art has like a kind of like a Shira style uh, feel to it, uh, mm. and uh, yeah, I'm really digging it. Yeah, this felt like a real uh, departure. Definitely getting in like standalone. This felt like an annual. Like if there was a Teen Titans Raven annual that really got into uh, a side mission for her. Yeah, um, very like culty meets Game of Thronesy almost, but uh, set in hell in a way. And uh, yeah, it was a good story. 
In Hell We Fight, speaking of hell, number three from Image Comics, written by John Lehman, art by Jock. This is following a bunch of folks who are dead and in hell. They have found an angel and they're trying to work their way out, but there's a bunch of forces that are against them in typical John Lehman fashion. Some ridiculous comedy stuff happens. In particular, in this issue, they fight a evil marionette ventriloquist dummy who runs an antiquity store. Very fun. I'm having a really good time reading this book. I also liked how they went into the backstory of like each person who's tried to operate them has died horribly. Um, yeah, I, I just think this is such a cool art style and, and fun road trip in hell kind of thing. I like the bits they do about how coffee sucks in hell and the traffic's horrible and that kind of fun stuff. Uh, but I really am digging the art style and I feel like this is picking up great momentum, fun characters like the evil leader of the group. I think she's such a great leader um, and kind of has a good grasp on things. So I'm happy to kind of go along with her plan and what's going on. So, yeah, I'm having a great time with this. Uh, agree. I, I like this book. Uh, makes hell sort of seem fun. Like it's <laughs> navigable. Right. So like, it wouldn't be terrible. No, it's fine. I deal with traffic. And mm-hmm. I deal with bad coffee on an almost daily basis. I'm I'm here for it. It's very interesting to me that the artist is named Jock, but it's not the same Jock. It's a different Jock. <laughs> hey, there's different people with different names all over the place. You know what yeah. I mean? Hey, but when you have so, only one name as your name, it's like there's someone named Prince with P-R-I-N-C-E and someone named yeah. Prince named P-R-I-N-T-S. And it's like, oh, I wish one of those was different. And some, one, someone who's just a symbol that stands for Prince. You know what I mean? Mm, they should get David Letterman to... Uh, uh, host the next Eisner's, and he can do like a jock, 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 oh, jock. That, that's Fudge. a great idea. Yeah, Letterman's looking dust for that work. reference off. Yeah, thank you, David Letterman. He's got this uh, long beard, but the art is great in this. Uh, dummies, ventriloquist dummies, great fodder for villains. Nobody likes them. There you go. That's true. Spider-Man number eleven from Marvel, written by Dan Slott, art by Luciano Vecchio. This is. Revealing at least part of the origin of Spider-Boy, the new sidekick who has become part of continuity. He's been there the whole time. He's been there the whole time. Here we find out that he was rescued from Madame Monstrosity, the character that Dan Slott introduced in The Amazing Spider-Man Annual. He was taken in by Spider-Man, trained by Daredevil, and over the course of this issue, as Spider-Man is very suspicious about what's going on with Spider-Boy... He Spider-Boy tells him a bunch of stories about their origin and their relationship that has developed. And by the end, Spider-Man is not 100% on board with Spider-Boy, but is on board enough to go on an adventure with him. I think that's a great way of, of qualifying this. I feel like we, the reader, are like, well, we're not fully on board with Spider-Boy, but we're on board enough to keep understanding what's happening with him. Yeah, I feel like this issue works really hard to be like, Spider-Boy. Give him a chance. You know, uh, I'm going to tell you a story and you're not going to believe me. But guess what, Spider-Man? I'm going to tell you a story about Aunt May and that's going to get you. So you're hooked. Well, I think it goes back to, again, this is us are maybe falling in love with our own speculation. But we had said like, oh, Spider-Boy is the spider that bit Peter Parker and he took on human qualities. And we said that. Yeah, Justin did we? said that. Or did yeah. I? Do? I think I Justin said that. Said that. Then. Oh, yeah, okay. Justin yeah. said that. All three of us and, said that simultaneously? Yeah, that's the way we do this podcast. We all <laughs> share the same brain all the time. But to me, that is like a clean idea. 
this idea that like, oh, no, Spider-Boy happened, but he was stabbed with the same knife that many other people were stabbed with in the um, the end of the Spider-Verse crossover, which erased them from the timeline. But other people came back from the timeline. But in this case, this Spider-Boy did not come back from the timeline, but he did come back to the Earth. And it turns out that his powers are similar to Spider-Man's, but slightly different in that he does have eight eyes. In fact, ten eyes, if you really think about it. But he doesn't have the ability to have a spider sense. He has the ability to touch clothes and find out that if you touch the clothes, they do reveal that something bad's happening to the clothes, but not necessarily to the person. So, like, there's a even thinking those things all at once is complicated so the story is necessarily difficult to tell around i I did like the training uh he did with daredevil i thought that was uh, kind of adorable this is and and i say this partially complimentary this is dan slot putting in the work here to your point Uh, justin is like dan slot well it is because what he's doing is and again, this is complimentary. He overthinks everything. Like he yeah. wants to make sure he is not doing the same thing that anybody has ever done before. So he's not like, oh, this is Dawn on Buffy again. It's just somebody who has always been there and they show up. So how do I have to do that differently? It can't just be Spider-Man again. So how do I change that and tweak that a little bit? Knowing that there have been one cabillion Spider-Mans, how do I make it different in some way? So this issue is doing... Almost what he does best, which is taking these overly complex things that he's thought about, throwing them in there in the middle of a very accessible base level story about the big wheel attacking uh, a building. You know, I did like the big wheel. moment. Well, but that's what he does is he takes these like very simple concepts so you can understand the more difficult concepts that he's doing. And I'm not like you're saying, Justin, we're in Spider-Man's place. We're not on board with Spider-Boy yet. The uh, fans are every issue with Spider Boy has sold out completely so far. So like yeah. clearly it's a big hit, and they know it. They're doing a spinoff mini series or a series ongoing series, series potentially. I think. Yeah, um, but I think like the idea is that we're not all like, "Wow, Spider Boy, we love Spider Boy." We still gotta get there. We still gotta understand him, and this is a yep. step in that direction. Justin, please excuse me for a second. I just want to jump in. You know, my favorite thing about what you just said was how you referenced Dawn of Buffy. Like, we all know what the fuck that is. You know what I mean? It compared it so seamlessly to what, what was yeah, going on. Yeah, we all understand it. You do yeah. understand it, right, Pete? That was actually Dan Slott doing an Alex impression very briefly that we slotted oh, okay. in here. Right. We slotted him in. Ah! The, I agree with you, Alex. And I actually think once now that we have this out of the way, when we get to the first issue of the series... Then we can have the fun because I do think this character is fun. But this issue goes so far as to say, like, oh, how does he climb walls? Well, the way his powers work is he has unstable mo- <laughs> molecules that he got shoes. from he got from the Fantastic Four, which go he can now put his um, spines from his spider legs through his feet, which go then through his shoes, and then they stick to the walls. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm missing God. a little bit here in this storyline? And I don't know necessarily that we should go in this direction, but the sadness of it, the idea yeah. that you have a 10-year-old who is on his own that nobody remembers, that's a real bummer. And I hope we get that in the book. But I think this whole issue was selling this character to Spider-Man, who's like, okay, I think we need to move past that to the point where it's like, Let's be just be with this character. Yeah, and yeah I, I think, think that's, that's what coming. We're gonna get. I think that's coming. Uh, you know, because Dan Slott likes to drink the tears of fans, so you know he 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 loves to play on that. So, yeah, Hawk, you girl. ship you ship them to him every week, right, Pete? Yep. Yeah, and you got a lot of them. 
Hawkgirl number two from DC Comics, written by Jadzia Axelrod, art by Amankai Nahulpin. In here, Hawkgirl is being tracked down by a lady who really wants her nth medal. She oh, is man. hanging out with a bunch of other folks and kind of exploring her sexuality a little bit as she goes. What I think we were intrigued, if I remember correctly, by the first issue. But what did you think about issue number two? I, really I like this. Yeah. You know, this this reminds me of like some classic '80s DC comics, like in the vein of your your Neil Gaiman stories and whatnot, where it's like a character who's like, you know, I'm trying to figure myself out and dealing with the larger implications, sort of stumbling into different relationships with different people. And I, I really, it's hard to capture that flavor in a in the modern, especially superhero uh, comic book world. And this this comic does a great job of doing it. I uh, I like I think the art is a perfect pairing here, and the story is Hawk Girl now has some Moon Knight energy to her, I think, and I'm curious mm-hmm. how that will affect everything going forward. Yeah, I'm I'm having a good time with this. I feel like this is really picking up steam. I like this cast of characters, like the dog guardian fun stuff, and I feel like the art is great and this is uh, interesting and and, and uh, building. So I'm excited for this. Antarctica number two from Image Comics, written by Simon Burks, art by Willie Roberts. This book is following a woman who's trying to find out what happened to her father. She gets to Antarctica of the, per the title. And discovers mm, there is gotta go. some sort of parallel universe version of her who is doing something. And in this issue, a bunch of things happening with uh, parallel universe people. If I remember correctly, I think this was on an episode where Pete and I just talked about this one. And we really liked the first bunch that delved into her character that were confused as soon as she got into Antarctica and got to the twist about the par- parallel universes. So I was curious to check out the second issue. What did you guys think? Yeah, I, it's a, it's kind of takes, you know, some crazy turns here where it's like, okay, we're dealing with these bases and they're kind of like getting attacked and stuff. And then also there's a parallel universe. And like, I just saw another version of myself, but I was like crazy cold to that version of myself. I get it's Antarctica, you know what I mean? So it's going to be cold. But like, you know, if you saw another mm. version of you and you were like, Hey, I can't talk right now. Talk to me on the walkie-talkie, and they're like, "It's broken." And we're like, "Well, you better learn how to fix it." And it's like, "Well, why are you being a dick to yourself?" Like, it just doesn't seem uh, the but- idea of Pete running into another Pete, and on any continent, I'm here for that. I don't care if Antarctica, sure, but talk to me about Pete and Pete, North America, Pete and Pete. What did What did you think, Justin? I agree with you. It's a little disjointed at times narratively, uh, but I think the art on this book is great. And I like a lot of the elements at play here. I like the way we keep flashing back to some very specific scenes. It does a good job of sort of conjuring childhood memory and having that affect the action. It reminds me of a a show like uh, what was the show with uh, Pacey and, uh, on uh, on Fox for many years with the multiple dimensions and they were always crossing over. Pacey meeting From Joshua Dawson's Jackson? Creek. Yeah, I call him Pacey. Cool <laughs> multiple that. dimensions with Joshua Jackson? Yeah, we you you know this show. Twin Peaks. 
I don't. Uh, I'll say it in one minute. Alex, how did you? All right, yeah. Uh, I didn't like this. I (laughs) thought that (laughs) it was, uh, in fact, very disjointed and unmotivated for most of the characters. This felt very top cow to me. I, I was really bummed out because I did like the characterization put into the first issue in particular. But like you're kind of getting at here, Pete, the idea that they're like, there are people from a parallel dimension who look like us. We have to kill them before they kill us. I was like, why? What? Yeah, well, there was no, there was no discussion here. If I saw people from a parallel dimension, I'd have several questions first. A lot of questions. I would wait until they like fired on me, I guess, before I was like, we got to get in here. This is an alien situation, meaning the movie, not aliens like from outer space. They're coming here to kill us. We've got to lock down. Who knows what anything is? Freaking out here. And then at the end, when they're heading towards, they're like, oh, my God, we're trapped in a parallel dimension. It's like, why is any of this bad or what is at stake here? Also, where are are we like I know we're in Antarctica yeah. but I can't tell what any of the backgrounds are they keep talking about multiple bases but we have never once seen the multiple bases of the same frame we're it's driving there. me it's driving me a little insane that's all. you know what's driving people insane is that this is a very obvious answer that many people have been shouting as we've been talking but it's fringe the tv show fringe oh, fringe yes that's right I Thank still you. don't that is very Pacey Anator great Tron show Noble. great, great show, show. Very good. Speaking of aliens. Speaking of aliens, speaking of cold places, Alien number five from Marvel, written by Declan Shalvey, art by Andrego Bercardio. Talk about the complete opposite of what I felt about Antarctica. This is bringing this arc, Antarctica, to an <laughs> end. Oh, wow. It is all about a frozen planet where aliens were frozen under the ice. They have, of course, escaped and ripped everybody to shreds. As we talked about the last couple of issues, this has been... I think one of the most emotionally devastating comics that I've read in a really long time. Tough. tough Oh, my God. And this issue does not let up either until the very bitter end. This is a dark, dark story, but so well written, so well drawn. Maybe one of the darkest stories ever told to the alien universe, I would say. But uh, I'll turn it over to you guys for your opinion on that. Yeah, I just think it was super touching and really emotional. Super I was touching bananas. Super touched right? bananas. Yeah, okay. Good. Same. <laughs> same. Wow. You guys really jumped on that. Alex and I, <laughs> same. <laughs> uh, I like, for those of you who are just listening to this, which is all, probably all of you, whenever we get excited, we all lean in to say the, the joke at the same time. And both Alex and I were like, super touch bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I was impressed because normally I'm not so emotionally moved by an alien. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, oh God, are they going to make it? That kind of emotions. But gonna, yeah. yeah, this was a really a, a very, very touching story. I was very, very impressed by it. I really enjoyed this as well, especially a story that started off like strong premise and then moved quickly. But then in the, the last, then I think this is rare in a, a limited series like this. And the back half really took the time to let the emotions sit with all the characters so that we could feel them all like Alex is Alex and Peter saying here. I also want to give credit to the way they're sort of handling this alien universe as well as the, the uh, predator stuff by really like tying everything together really lightly, but still making it um, of a piece paying homage to the movies that came before while telling new and interesting stories. It's a really well done sort of micro universe um, in these uh, in Marvel comics. Nice. 
Let's get to our Night Terrors yeah, block. As we've been my doing. favorite we've block. Talk- wow. Okay. As we've been he talking about, the uh, DC Universe has been plunged into their own nightmares thanks to a new villain called Insomnia. We've been talking about all the titles. So just to read through all of them here, Night Terrors Punchline number two, written by Denny Lore, art by Lucas Meyer. Night Terrors Catwoman number two, written by T.D. Howard, art by Leia Lelays. Night Terrors Superman number two, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Tom Riley. Night Terrors Wonder Woman number two, written by Josie Campbell, Stephanie Williams, art by Juan Ferreira and Megan Hetrick. Night Terrors Nightwing number two, excuse me, written by Becky Cluden and Michael W. Conrad, art by Danielle DiNicolo. So let's give some shout outs here. What jumped out to you in particular? What issues did you like? First, I want to shout. Oh, sorry, Pete. Let me go first, real quick. I just want to shout out. I'll just do two so you can uh, take over since this is your block. Um, I love the Punchline book. And Punchline's never been, like, my favorite character, but I thought this took a big swing on the take of the Nightmare, and I thought that was really great, getting into sort of internet culture, which is a big part of the Punchline origin story that I think we talk about less. And I'll shout out the Superman book as well for, like, bringing us all of the Nightmare stuff, but also pushing forward some of the themes going on in the main book. And it really called into question, like, hey, Aquaman, what's up with him? (laughs) <laughs> there's a major there's a major movie coming out and I feel like Aquaman has almost no presence in the DC universe right now. Let's fix hey, that. Hey, yeah, let's fix that. All right. Uh first uh to, to just jump in what Justin said. Yeah, the punchline was very interesting and cool. I also like the presence of Batwoman in the punchline is like something that she's thinking about. Batgirl. 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 Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, but right. I a hundred percent agree with you. It was yeah. like to make her the villain of that right. book in this yeah, game. I thought it was cool. really well played and like yeah. earned in the, the yeah, connection like it to the other. Joker, yeah, it wasn't Joker, it wasn't Batman, it was Batgirl, which was, a, cool. was a cool thing. Um, all right. Yeah, first off, got to talk about these covers. Just some creepy, well-drawn, unbelievable, kind of stop-you-in-your-track covers to be like, oh, shit, what's going on right now? DC is really done... Uh, some, I feel like it's such a fun kind of idea to play with and then kind of like sit in. I also love the change in art style. You know, DC has a certain art style, but with this nightmare kind of scenario, you can play around with the art, uh, art style, elongate people, make people not as kind of like perfect or blocky. So I was really appreciating the art swings and choices on these books. Um, yeah, Catwoman. God, the art on that comic is just so amazing. Such uh, a fun, cool issue. Fun to see. Can uh, I interrupt for a second about Catwoman yeah. and just say that that was the real standout this week to me? I think mm. with Layla Lays is drawing this different. It's not actually a different dimension because it's Catwoman's nightmare, but this different dimension of Batman and Catwoman and Joker. This is very cool. This is something that like. It feels like a younger version of the DC universe that I'd be interested to see. Oh yeah. Other stories. Good call. Um, so I, I really like these designs a lot. Go, go ahead. Pete. Yeah. And I also really like the moment where she shouted out the man she loves. Batman. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, moving on uh, Superman, like Justin said, uh, really awesome. Really love the our freaking tight ass bananas there. Uh, also mm. love a giant turtle. You know, I love turtles so great. You've always said that. 
And yes. I, uh, I, yes, that's true. Also, I loved uh, Lois's kind of reveal of her fear of the blank page. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, totally. That was a cool kind of well, uh, and thing. also not to break in again, but uh, similar to what Justin was saying, I think this is one since Joshua Williamson is both writing Superman and the main Night Terror series. He clearly felt free to actually tie things into the main continuity. We're getting some tease. Something's going on with Brainiac. We don't know what it is yet, but there's a big tease in here of like Brainiac might literally be infecting Superman's brain, which is interesting. So we'll see how that goes. And we get another tease of that in another DC book that I'm actually forgetting which other one it was. And maybe we already passed by, but I was like, Brainiac is coming up big. There was the Superman annual from the previous week. And there was also apparently something with Brainiac, which we didn't read in the stack, but with hardware versus icon, he apparently mm-hmm. shows up there as well. So yeah. they might be building to some sort of Brainiac event potentially down the road. Uh, uh, so then we had uh, Night Terror's Wonder Woman. Um, again, amazing covers, amazing art. I also love this idea of Wonder Woman fighting the idea of gods and humans. And this is just such a interesting cast of characters where you have Constantine and Detective Chimp and stuff like that. Just uh, uh, having such a fun time with that. And then we get uh, Nightwing number two. Uh, love this kind of like anime style that it has. Um and, he, you know, I loved his, like, working his way through this nightmare. And then he talks about how, like, it's going to stay with him for a while, which I thought was such a cool kind of thing of, like, there's those nightmares that, like, take you a while to shake. You know, you wake up and you're like, wow, I'm kind of fucked up. I got to maybe talk to somebody or something. Yeah. Like, it was uh, it was such a fun thing to see a comic book character also kind of uh, a good deal with. So I just think that this Night Terrors, they did such a good job job of exploring this idea in a way that is unique to these different characters and pays off people who know stuff about these characters and know their past and then also are able to take creative swings with this and in a way that feels fresh and you don't get tired of like at least I don't I don't feel like okay we get it they're having nightmares I feel like they do it in a way that that comes at it freshly each time and kind of gives you more information as we're going along super impressed there's a reference in the uh, vigil number four where the, the boardroom. That's room, right. The boardroom in uh, at Supercore is uh, this sort of jerky. This real jerkyles is uh, creates a, a a brainiac boardroom table, basically. Yeah, we'll see. They're definitely building up to something. Why don't we move on to Marvel yeah. and talk about Daredevil number 14, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. This is the final issue of Chip and Marco's lauded run on Daredevil. Long run. Long run. Spoilers here, I think, just because it's important to talk about. But as usual, they're doing a classic baton toss thing here. This happened pretty much since Brian Michael Bendis' run, where he's basically like, Oops, I left it in a very tough place for you next team. Good luck picking yeah. us up here. And here what happens is we get Daredevil is dead, dead, as far as anybody knows. Foggy is back alive. He is practicing law. Electra is like now Daredevil. Boss. And she doesn't kill anybody anymore. And instead, um, by the end of the issue, Electra discovers that Matt Murdock is alive. He's a priest and he doesn't remember every, anything or does he? Vaguely remembers. That's relief. Uh, what did you think about this issue? But also, what did you think about the run? 
I love this run. I feel like it pushed Daredevil into a lot of different ways. Broke out of the pattern of it just being like, let's make his life awful, but still within the constraints of Daredevil. It pushed it so far beyond that. They definitely made his life awful to the point where I was like, let's give this guy a vacation. And being a priest in Hell's Kitchen, New York, is probably not the vacation I was intending, but he seems more chill any which way. I This issue, Pete, you must have loved because Foggy's just crushing it right Killing now. it. Yeah, it was nice to see Foggy finally get some respect up in this piece. But I, not, I just, but not from, just not from me, just to be clear. Yeah, nobody's putting words in your mouth there. I'm just saying I don't respect Foggy. We know, okay? We know. All right? I'm trying not to take that personally, you fucking piece of shit. All right, so anyways, I feel like overall, cool run, very interesting. But what I like most about it is where Elektra is. And her uh, version of Daredevil is very enjoyable, uh, sometimes you kind of get these kind of twists and seeing how other people take up the mantle. It reminds me of the death of Captain America where Bucky, like seeing him kind of be Captain America was really interesting and very cool. So mm. I feel that way about Daredevil, like seeing Elektra's evolved kind of Daredevil was so great. And her having this dialogue with Matt, even though he's not there, very interesting, very cool. Um, Foggy uh, killing the game was really enjoyable. Uh, it was weird that it's like, yeah, he's dead, but then at the end, Electra goes to visit him. So I was kind of like, all right, well, that's weird. But, um, yeah, I think they did it for kind of the next, to kind of set up the, for the next team. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this was a very interesting run, very cool and iconic. And, uh, it was nice to see Chip kind of put his stamp on Daredevil in this way. Uh, next team, Saladin Ahmed and Aaron Cooter. Yeah, yeah I'm excited. Over. Very cool. Very exciting. I Hate Fairyland, number eight, from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by Brett Bean. As picking up on the wild cliffhanger of the last issue, we've been following an older version of Gert who went back to Fairyland. At the end of the last issue, she was killed by the younger version of herself. Guess what? That sticks. She is dead. She is in his severed head the entire issue. And instead, we get Gert revisiting her old friend, Duncan Dragon. Um, uh, spoiler here, she also dies at the end of this issue. So we are in wild, uncharted territory with this title. I love it. I love that they found something new to do with it. Pete, you are the other fan of this book on the Yeah, podcast. I'm chopping at the bit here. Uh, oh, I, this is so cool. The, the twists and turns, where we left this character off and then how we pick up is so fun and so creative. I, you know, Scotty Young invented this world and is writing it, and Bean's art is so great. I, I didn't think I would like it as much because I was like, oh, this is Scotty Young's thing. Like, you know, but oh man, what Bean is bringing to this is just so cool and great. I'm having a blast with this. This is hilarious. The twists and turns that this is taking is so fun. Hilarious finish. The whole like head pun joke and then appreciation was enjoyable. Just like the fact that it's like so dark, but drawn so cute. It just is such a, I'm a sucker for that combination. And it's delivering on such, this is such a great book. If you want to just have some fun and, 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 and laugh and feel good, this is the book for you. I, I just think this is so cool. Who could ask for anything more? I say. 
Mm, okay. Why don't we move on and talk about Ghost Rider number 17 for Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Jeff Shaw. This is continuing the Weapons of Vengeance crossover as Wolverine and Ghost Rider deal with the fact that they really had to kill a kid a couple of years ago. And yeah. it seems like that kid's back and they might have to kill him again. Pete, Sometimes- take it. Take it away. You love killing kids, right? Yeah, I love killing kids, babies, you name it. Um, but I think it's one of those things where I love this. The team other day, up. can I just mention not to interrupt, but uh, Pete, you the are now through a hypothetical biome, and I was like, Pete, if you could go back in time and kill baby, and I was about to say baby Hitler, but he stopped me after baby. He was like, I'm there. Like, yes, I'm there. I'm there. Yes, you had, you had me a baby. <laughs> Crying baby on an airplane? I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. You know I mean? Go like, back in time and kill. Great use of time baby. machine. Great yeah. use of time machine. Uh, yeah, I just think uh, I'm a sucker for this book and this team up. Um, I, I'm excited to see what happens next, especially with that teaser image we got at the end of this issue. Uh, yeah, I just think this is a blast uh, having these two have to work together in this way. And uh, I'm all for it. I I like this too. It's fun. When did Wolverine and Ghost Rider first meet? Because it's they're trying to say that they don't know each other on this. So I'm like, they've hung out in the '90s almost constantly. Yeah. Are, how many covers do you think? Weren't they in the on Fantastic today? Four together? Wasn't? Yeah, they were in the new Fantastic Four. So they should know each other from whatever. When Reed Richards like, who should take over my mantle? Oh, Ghost Rider. He's probably the most <laughs> Reed Richards character. Let's have it be Ghost Rider. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, art's good. Jeff Shaw's art is good. It's Benjamin Percy more than good. Work. It's it's badass. Okay. Bryn Moore, number two from IDW, written by Steve Niles, art by Damien Werb. This is about yeah. a guy. Who, <laughs> you all right? I'm really you said, emphasizing you really got that. Damien Werb. I mean, Werb. if you're going to draw a book about a Dracula on an island, why not Stop have bullying. You? Stop bullying Damien Worm. Damien Worm, you know? Yeah. That's all. No, it's a good name. It's a good name for that sort of thing. Yeah. I always eat the Damien Worm at the bottom of the tequila bottle. Yeah. This is like, I I said this with the first issue, I think, but this is like Midnight Mass, but dumb. Oh, come on. Don't. I would would say dumb. I think simple. simple. It's a simple, clean storytelling. Why you shouldn't drink in a church is what this is basically Mm -hmm. saying. That that happens every week. This is a dude gets beat up by a bunch of dudes on an island, gets really upset, cracks open the sarcophagus that's in his basement of his church, releases a Dracula probably, and that releases more Draculas. Right, yeah, Dracula's going to release more Dracula. You know, you're forgetting about <laughs> you know, some real characters. You see the last voyage of the Demeter, right? Yeah. Dracula seem to be at sea. They seem yeah. to be at sea a lot lately. Uh, some Draculas are at sea, and some Draculas release other Draculas. Yeah, and this is what Dracula is sort of on an island, right? So mm-hmm. it's like he had to take that's a boat to get there. I'm sorry this isn't intelligent enough for you, but I've, I'm enjoying this book. I think, you know, somebody who's struggling with alcoholism and then kind of slips and then does something wow. stupid, like cracking open a creepy thing in the bottom of a church. Don't ever do that, people. Don't Just leave things alone. You know, no, I do that. Well, after a couple drinks, I'll crack open say, either an egg in my fridge or like anything that looks like sure. it's got something inside. Sure, th- those are things to do, but don't go into the basement that's super creepy and then be like, Justin, Let's see though, you're not taking nice. into account that, that Justin has an entire fridge full of Dracula eggs. 
Oh, yeah. yeah, right. Also, uh, I, Justin you gotta, lives in a creepy basement, is currently reporting live from the creepiest basement <laughs> I've ever seen. You gotta love a Dracula egg omelet in the morning, though, right, guys? <laughs> oh, my God. Yum, yum. Yeah, that's Bloody. where the blood spots are good, actually. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, wow. uh, still based on one of the best colleges in America, let's move on and talk about X-Men Red number 14 from <laughs> Written by Al Ewing, art by Yitere Sidar. This is the wild sci-fi version of what's going on with Fall of X. Specifically, we're focusing on Mars, a.k.a. Uh, Araco. 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 There. And if Araco's knocking, don't come crackin'. Uh, Arakin, yeah. <laughs> don't come crackin. I give up. You guys take the rest of the podcast. Okay, well, great. Actually, I actually feel we like wore Pete him down. Be, it took us like eighteen years, but we fi- he finally gave up. Pete maybe will have the sharpest take on this book because I've been dutifully following the X Men run, uh, understanding the the political intrigue between Krakoa and Araco. And reading this, I was like, who that? What? <laughs> who that? Why they? Who that there? What, 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 what you guys sense. talking about? They cut to this guy who's like, he's fishing and he's like, I love fish, but something's up with my fish. And then later he becomes like a central character. I'm like, who's it? What is this guy? So like, I think this is to me emblematic. And again, this is not a criticism. Great art. I like Al Ewing's Great writing. Art. But Al this Ewing. is emblematic of some of the missteps that I think Pete can speak to in the Krakoan era where we get so deep into the mythology and ideology of what this is that as a reader, I just lose touch with the direction. This is like if you're a Storm fan, this is where you're getting your Storm. And I'm like, ah, what is Storm doing? With well, she got a scorecard to keep track of the to folks? To talk positively about Storm – when she made like a little cloud appeal appear over somebody's glass to get so they could drink water, I was like, "Oh, that's that's cool." Classic was, storm. Yeah, that's yeah. a cool thing storm can do. It's like you need some water. Okay, yeah. Uh, hold out a hold out a glass, and I'll make a little cloud appear. Uh, adorable. I have no idea who the fuck is fighting, why they have giant statues of each other, but Storm takes those statues out. She doesn't like giant statues, and I don't blame her. Uh, but, but, yeah, there was a huge battle going on, and Storm wrecks house. So it was nice to see Storm handling business. I don't have any fucking idea who any of these people are or what's going this, on. To, me, to be fair, we haven't been reading X-Men be Red. We haven't been reading X-Men Red, and there's clearly a deep continuity going on here. But just on the basis of reading this issue, this to me feels like if this was an image comic sci-fi book, we'd probably be really into it and the wild world building that was going on. As is, since it's part of X-Men, it feels like there should be more connection there, but there's not. But just on that basis, I appreciate that they're taking this big of a swing on something that feels right. almost entirely divorced from the Marvel universe in a really big way, other than the fact that Storm appears. So I don't know. I was intrigued to read more and maybe read back to find out more of this, but I'm on the same page as you guys. And I will say, like, I, I understand the way that Genesis and Apocalypse relate to each other and some of the factions that are at play here. I just feel like I want the character on the ground that we can really ride with to understand this as opposed to so much top line, big sci fi. It reminds me of the TV show Foundation, which mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to watch this show. And I was like, 
boy, this show is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's turn to something that's potentially even more complicated, something epic, number yeah. four from Image Comics by Sizmon Kondrowski. We have been absolutely loving the series that seemed to be about a kid his creativity was so out of control, it seemed to be spilling out of his head. It seemed to be something about the creative process and how that comes seemingly comes to life in the real world. As we find out in this issue, it's not seemingly. It actually is coming to life. He is a savior hero who needs to go on a quest. Uh, and in fact, it seems like everything that he experienced in the first three issues was real that yeah. definitely repaints the whole series in a big way. What did you guys think about this one? Naturally, when I opened this book, I was like, we're going to see Savage Dragon, Shadowhawk, a member of Cyberforce, I think, in later on in this book. Yeah, and Spawn was there too. Fuck but you, I you fuck. Oh, <laughs> uh, why? You got a rep Spawn? Spawn's That's like right. the jock, and I mean J-O-K. At your high school, just showing up to wreck shit. I, I, re I do really like this book. This issue felt like, oh, we're sort of doing the Matrix for regular creativity, for just mm. being a creative person in the world. And not to boil it down too far, but like that's an interesting idea. And I like the way that it's deeply rooted in comic books as the basis. So I, I'm into this book. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm interested in this book. I'm having a good time with this. It it continues to be fun and deep, and also like taking swings, talking about creativity, talking about creating worlds, and what that kind of means, and maybe the darker side of that. I thought that that it's a that's an interesting idea and explored well. I liked all the darkness in the panels and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it kind of pulls you in for the story time. Typically not my favorite because there's a lot of words and not much action. It's more just kind of like just kind of blocks and blocks of, of Pete, text. words are just uh, action in your brain. Well, thanks, man. Really this, words are like sandwiches in your mouth. I, I thought this was a phenomenally powerful book for the first three issues just in terms of straddling the line between – is this real? Is this not? Are we doing a metaphor for the creative process or not? Ultimately, it's up to the reader to determine. And here, it seems like we get an answer of, like we were saying, no, it's real. And actually, it's Ready Player One. Enjoy. That's mm. a big, huge bummer to me. Uh, we will see how this pans out because I still love the art in here. And I think the writing is very interesting. And the discussions about the creative process are interesting. But I really hope that there is another twist or turn or something like that that brings us back to questioning what reality is because that's what felt like the book's sweet spot to me well and i do oh, think it's this coming this is laying a little bit more groundwork to stand on to i think push the narrative forward because i think the first few issues of this felt like super philosophical and getting into mm -hmm. the creative process and i think the the story wants a character some character and hopefully we'll be able to combine those two ideas, those two paths going forward. The Lonesome Hunters, The Wolf Child, number two from Dark Horse yes. Comics by Tyler Crook. This is following an old man who's got a big old sword and the adventures he goes on. Come on, dude. I'm a huge, I just love the art. I love the feel. If you're a fan of Hellboy, like I'm talking old school Hellboy, yeah. you should pick up. There's a, a first, I want to say four issue arc called the lonesome hunters that comes before this got to start there read that 
And then this picks up really beautiful art. Love the story. Great intrigue. Great characters. Definitely pick this up. Yeah, this is absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, it almost has like a watercolor feel for to it, and I'm a sucker for that. But it, I, I also really appreciate the kind of black and white, uh, uh, you know, way it starts. It kind of almost this spooky kind of feel to it. But yeah, I'm really impressed with this comic. Um, I, I feel like the story is really getting interesting and intriguing, and I cannot wait to see what's going to happen next. It's really kind of building things up here, so I'm having a blast with this. Groot number four from Marvel, written by Dan Abnett, art by Damian Cossero. This is the final issue of this series, focusing on a younger Groot teaming up with some early stages Guardians of the Galaxy type characters. They are fighting a big chainsaw dude and a bigger, more evil Groot. What do you guys think about this? Well, we're talking about Tweeg, Gleef, and Groot here. Uh, just, fighting uh, Ags. Oh, yeah. My, my bad, my bad. Ags. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bad yeah. guy. Yeah, bad guy. Uh, but yeah, I you know, fighting evil chainsaw monsters. This is kind of adorable, but also fun. What you expect from a group book. So, uh, yeah. Uh, this is sort of a backdoor Captain Marvel book, which is uh, mm-hmm. surprising. Groot is a small, especially this issue, super small role. I did like Marvel and Yandar. The yeah, I don't know if Yandar is the parent of Yondo in a way, but uh, definitely in that world. Uh, fun book. Definitely not like if you like Groot, you gotta love this series. There you go. Sirens of the City, <laughs> number two from Boom Studios, written by Joanne Starer, art by Carrie Randolph. This is about a world where mythical creatures exist, mostly in human form. We're following mostly one siren in the city, per the title, as she works her way through this supernatural side of the world. Now, Pete, I believe, when you and I talked about this before, again, this was another book. We love the characterizations in the first two thirds or so that it turned into wild supernatural stuff in the last third. And we didn't quite enjoy it as much. How did you feel about issue number two? Well, uh, the art is absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, I, I just think this is very cool. This we got kind of like a battle for the baby brewing here, but yeah, I think this is uh, very interesting, and I'm still having a great time with this. I can't say enough about the art style. I love this sort of to describe a little bit. It's like mostly black and white with a color uh, affectation. Excuse me, affectation to it, which I think really works. I actually like the way they're they're sneaking up on the premise a bit because they're they're giving us a lot of character for the first couple issues and then sort of slowly showing like, oh, there's actually sort of two houses at play here. And there's some sort of light saga style uh, mm-hmm. drama happening. Mm-hmm. So like I'm on board with it, especially after reading this issue, which I think filled in a lot of the, the missing pieces. Loki number three from Marvel written by Dan Waters, art by Jermaine Peralta. Loki is trying to track down a bunch of pieces of his ship, which is made out of fingernail ship. Fingernail ship. Yeah, there you go. Classic, classic fingernail ship. You know how this goes. Anyway, this issue, he is tracking down a piece 
along with his former Young Avengers compatriots Hulkling and Wiccan in space. Uh, There's some twists there. There's some turns there. I continue to absolutely love this series. I love the way that Dan Waters and Jermaine Geralta, also through the art, are exploring different eras of Loki in every issue. Um, It is tricky. It is... Uh, trickstery. Trickstery. It's everything you'd want from a Loki series. I'm having a great time. I agree with you. Like the fact that they're able to combine a lot of the Loki connection to superheroes while also telling a great Loki mythological story at the same time, that's a hard uh, needle to thread. And they they do it in this series. Yeah, you know, they're kind of dealing with the old classic, uh, you know, you shouldn't look at the sun, but maybe you should kind of, you know, look at it with special things because it turns out somebody's dying in the middle of that. When you say classic, you mean every day, don't look at the sun? Yeah, yeah, you know, the old classic, don't look at the sun. Just on a daily basis because it hurts your eyes. Yeah, yeah, it can really hurt your eyes. But sometimes at the center of that uh, light ball, there's somebody slowly dying, so... You know, you got to do something. You know, sometimes you got to step up. Yeah, I think this is a very interesting, fun story. And also the twists and turns of like, hey, Bullseye. Remember Bullseye? He's going to be in this. So uh, very interesting briefcase kind of work of like, hey, magical briefcases. You know what I mean? We've all seen Pulp Fiction. Hey, Pete, real quick question. How many Kree soldiers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Uh, Five. Uh, No, two, but they have to be really tiny. Hey! That's good. Do you feel like a a briefcase is just a case you have for only a couple, like a short amount of time? Just a real quick case. <laughs> That's I've always felt that. Void rivals want, number three. Put a cat in there. Otherwise, void rivals. Know. Nope. Don't cross the street. Void rivals number three from Image Comics, written by Robert Kirkman, art by Lorenzo Di Felici. We uh, skipped the second issue of this book. Sorry about that. But this is a new book. What a classic Romeo and Juliet situation. Two people mm. from opposing houses drawn oh. together, forced to work together to get their spaceship working, just like in the classic play Romeo and Juliet. Except the twist mm. here is it's set in the same universe as Transformers and G.I. Joe. So, of course, in the first issue, you got to see a Transformer. And in the second issue, you got to see some pig guy that nobody remembers from the Transformers cartoon. And in this issue, you get to see some lizard guy nobody remembers from the Transformers cartoon. Fuck you, you they, don't remember. Remember? Oh, my God. Yeah, dude, I lost it when we got the kind of like uh, armed. I was like, holy shit, dude, that's from the Transformers movie. Is it? Yeah. Oh, what is I, it? An animated I, movie. When I read this, I was like, I know I'm supposed to remember this guy because otherwise this is the ravings of a madman. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, ca- call me scene then because uh, uh, this madman's loving it. Uh Crazy twist at the end that I didn't see coming. Um, but yeah, amazing art. Very interesting story. Uh, I feel like they're doing a great job of building here. Can't wait for the next ish. I really like the art here. Talk about Bones in Saga, as, which Alex was referring to as Romeo and Juliet, which I have to look that up. But a, a Saga is sort of the um, classic yeah. star-crossed lovers. Right, right. Romeo and Juliet, uh, William Shakespeare wrote it. Originally the title Old was... Oh, Bill Shakespeare. Yeah, the original title of that was Saga Bones. Yeah. Well, I'm a classically trained actor, so I know all about Saga from a theatrical viewpoint. Uh Again, th- this book still occupies a strange space in that it's making all these references to very specific nostalgic things, but it doesn't really play into the story. 
it's sort of like going on a date with someone and being like, hey, this is where I went to high school. And then you keep walking and go to have a nice dinner. <laughs> so, like, I don't know what the point is in general, but it's still like an interesting read. The art's very good. I do really like there, there's a panel in particular of, I assume, The Void that they're rivals over that I like quite a bit. Oh. Disney <laughs> Villains, Maleficent number four from Dynamite by Sue Lee. As Pete is clapping, this book is punching so far above its weight in this issue. A bunch of soldiers come for Maleficent. Every issue seems to be a bigger and better things comes from Maleficent, and she just keeps wrecking them nonstop in the most fairy tale yeah. way possible. Art's gorgeous, story's gorgeous. I love this. Agreed. Say no more. Like this captures this is we referenced uh, earlier the um, the Hades book. Sagabons, uh, oh, sorry. No, great, great guess. The Hades book, this feels like a perfect extension of the Sleeping Beauty universe, and it's beautifully done. They call you it know, the I, Sleeping Bootyverse, but... Oh, my yeah. God. Don't Bootyverse. Don't ruin this book with your bullshit. First off, I love the confidence this book has, the pace. Things happen kind of slowly. We get panels of just the evil crow kind of flying through the air. It's awesome. It is just such a... Uh, fantastic depiction of this villain that we all know. So I, I'm just super impressed with this. The It's just such a creative, cool uh, uh, take on this character. And the art is super tight bananas. Death of the Venomverse, number two from Marvel, written by Colin Bunn, David Mussolini, and Taigami. Art by Rafa Sandoval, Justin Mason, and Taigami. This is following a bunch of Venoms all fighting against Carnage, who is no longer tied to Cletus Cassidy. He's now just a suit in search of a man, or rather in search of some powers and some protection. They're all fighting, and Carnage is just tearing through the Venomverse. Then we get a classic tale of Venom. And then in the back, we get a really great looking uh, piece uh, that I really liked a lot. Uh, setting up a character by the name of Kid Venom, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, written uh, written and drawn in a very uh, manga style, which I love that that third backup. I thought was my favorite piece of the whole thing. The uh, David Michelini stuff uh, was cool and classic. Uh, and then the Venom verse actual title, I feel like it's just so much murder and so much get him. We missed him. Get try again. Like it's such a big battle. And I like sure that. It, it, ha it has that crossover energy. But I do want to sort of find a quiet moment in here to really um, get with the characters a bit. Nah, there's no quiet in Death of Venomverse. Uh, first off, yeah. the, the cover of this book is fantastic. It's got like an old school feel to it, uh, giving you the borders and stuff like they used to do back in the day. Love it. Yeah, this is just over-the-top battle royale madness. You got tons of cameos and different combinations of people being Venom and stuff. This is a great, great, fun time. Very very intense. Love it. It just continues to be such a blast. I'm, uh, I think this is cool. There's no crying in baseball. There's no quiet in the Venomverse. That's right. Savage Squad 6, number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Robert Venditti and Brockton McKenney, Art by Daltz Dalton. There was a big twist at the end of the first issue. We were following a bunch of super extreme ladies who were going on a mission to Chernobyl, I believe. And at the end of the first issue, we discovered they were being attacked by an enormous 
electrical wolf or something like that. Things amp up considerably in terms of the action and violence over the course of this issue. This is a absolutely wild read. You mentioned earlier, Justin, I think comparing something, uh, maybe it was Vigil to Valiant. This also feels like a little bit of a Valiant title to me. Robert Venditti famously wrote Exo Meta War, so he's very familiar with that. But great stuff. Like if you're looking for big wild action and violence, this is your book. If you're looking for people that disregard radiation warnings, this is the book for you. Yeah, I I loved all the action, uh, really loved the kind of jumping off the Ferris wheel moment with both guns a-blazing as you're diving into a giant wolf monster's mouth. Just fun, you know what I mean? Like, I I love that kind of crazy, intense comic book uh, thing that you can do that, you know, would cost a ton of money if you were trying to do it in TV and movies, so I feel like it's a great place. Or real life. It would cost a lot of money to do that in real life. Okay, all right. Or it would just cost you your life. Your life. Your life uh, sandwich. Yeah, I just think it's, uh, if you're like, man, I just want some fun, crazy action and violence, then this is the book for you. Something is killing the children, number 32. It's Pete. It's Spoiler. Pete. <laughs> Spoiler. Pete loves it. Boom Studios, written by Jamestown in the fourth, art by Werther Dildaria. In this issue, we are dealing with a bunch of threats. Erica is dealing with Cutter, the killer who has been sent after her. She's also dealing with, I guess you can call her her old boss or enemy boss, who is now probably taking over the House of Slaughter. And meanwhile, we get an enormous revelation of where these monsters come from who are killing the children, which I don't think they've mentioned in this book before. And I can't believe how casually they drop it in there. Not only that, but we get the first emotional reaction from Erica in 32 issues of the series. Great. I don't, I don't know what more can be said about this book at this point, other than the art is phenomenal and, the fact that they continue to drop mythology pieces, emotion, action. And there's not a lot of action in here, but like action at the same time. Um, incredible book. Yeah. If Eric is crying, I'm crying. I, this is just uh, JT4 mm. is killing the game in this. This is uh, next level comics. So amazing. Love the art style, the storytelling. I don't want this to ever end. I cannot wait for the next issue. Every time this is on my in my stack or pull list, I get excited to see what's going to happen because they they are so confident with the storytelling. Sometimes you get yeah. time with the main character. Sometimes you're just dealing with different slaughterhouses and different people's stories, and that all ties back in. This was a, a very emotional, amazing issue. Why aren't you checking out this book? Wow, a lot of people are. I agree with everything that you've said. Uh, The balancing of the larger mythological stuff with the character moments is amazing here. James Tynan, JT4, continues to crush. X-Men Days of Future Past, Doomsday number two from Marvel, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Manuel Garcia. This is continuing our prequel to X-Men Days of Future Past, which is basically, I'm going to mispronounce this probably, but a Grand Guignol, I believe. It's oh, called. yes, good. Very uh, just good French. ripping through all the X-Men characters and showing how they get torn to shreds Ugh. leading into, this is, this is gruesome and violent. I loved how hard the first issue went. This second issue was harder for me for some reason to read. Uh, You felt the same way. 
if the Hellfire Gala left you more bloodthirsty for mutant, <laughs> famous mutant death, this is the series for you. I don't know where it's going to go next or sort of what the point of it is, but um, it is an interesting read through X-Men history if everything went awfully. The Googs, uh, yeah, writing this. I, I just think it's it's kind of a crazy emotional roller coaster where there's all this death and destruction, and then two people are like, let's just get married right here where all these people yeah, die. Yeah, that cool? get married. Just, let's 100%. just do it right here. You know? Well, I would say I want a little more of that. Like, I felt that more in the first issue is this emotional through line. That, to me, to your point, Justin, is why we are doing this, why we are revisiting yeah. this. And instead of this issue, it was a lot like, and then Cyclops has no eyes, and this guy dies, and everybody else gets ripped to shreds, and isn't that cool? And Wolverine pulls a gun on Magneto, and is like, I got plastic bullets, bro, what's up? Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I need, I need more of the weddings and the marriages and the emotional tugs yeah. of the heartstrings, rather than just watching characters get ripped to shreds. You did classic X-Men baseball game in the middle of this absolute disaster. <laughs> Last but definitely not least, let's talk about My Brilliant Friend, the graphic novel, which is coming out October 10th from Europa Editions. It's by Chiara Langoni and Mara Seri, based on the novel by Elena Ferrante, translated from Italian by Anne Goldstein. Now, you might know My Brilliant Friend. It was adapted for HBO recently. I believe it was HBO and ran on there. But this is basically a slice of life book about two women who meet as young kids, grow older together, ultimately stay friends, stay kind of against each other at certain points. Yes, rivals. That's a good way of putting it. This is very much a slice of life book, but I thought this was phenomenal. The way that it is drawn out in particular in either full page splashes or two panels per page. It really lets you sit with everything. It's very haunting in terms of the relationship. Yes. And you don't really need to know anything about either the book or the TV show to get into this. As a graphic novel, you can just pick up and absolutely should just pick up when it does come out in October. Yeah, it's got these uh, lovely like pastel uh, kind of uh, uh, chalk drawings that are Really spare with the words. Yeah. Yeah, which I very much appreciated, but just haunting images that uh, it's a it's a long book, but man, kind of like calls back to stuff in such an interesting, unique way. It's a it's a very uh, cool and interesting story for sure, but it's sad. It's gonna, it's it's yeah, it's definitely in the fields. Just a heads up on that. Right where you want to be hit is in the fields. I really like the way it explores how. Friendships can be nuanced, that you don't always mm-hmm. have to agree on everything. You can be friends with people who are sometimes Are you fucking enemies. kidding me? Are you serious, dude? What do you mean? I'm I'm describing my feelings based on this book. Oh, okay. I just how I'm like not sure you can, what just happened. I just thought you, you were talking about friendship and like, you know, you know, it's like, you know, you gotta agree with each other, which I, I don't Oh, not wow. saying you don't have I, to I'm going to do My Brilliant Friend too, but it's going to be about you two guys. Uh, <laughs> nice. This book also, not to get too philosophical about it or anything, but it really, the way that they lay it out, it has the feeling of looking into somebody's memories. Like there's a uh, little bit of great. voyeurism going oh, on yeah, there in terms sure. of 
oh, I shouldn't be seeing this. I shouldn't be seeing this person's thoughts. I shouldn't be seeing how they feel about this other person. But it's very, very intimate in that way. So if you're looking well, for a book like that, it's great. To jump off on your intimacy, the way the panels are done, you're always sort of in close-up. You're mm-hmm. always in the action. You're looking at faces. You're seeing the things that are falling away from them when that happens. It's really well done. Yeah. Great stuff. Definitely look forward to that again. That's coming out October 10th. And if you would like to support our podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube coming out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, not Stitcher, because that's going away at the end of August. You can subscribe absolutely anywhere else at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com. For this podcast and many more, until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. I'm just saying a Hercules and a Jercules could be friends at the end of the day. (laughs) I agree. Mm Did I tell you, did I ever tell you guys about Havoc and Madeline Pryor? Oh my God. (laughs) You keep saying. (laughs) Oh, did I? That's all you talk about.